Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. How much longer will justice Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening in. This is Shane Claiborne, and I'm so glad that you could join me for this half hour together. And I am extra excited today because I've got a really great special guest that you're going to hear from. Uh, So we were together. uh, Let me just say that this is the Reverend Canon Stephanie Spellers, who I got to spend a little time with in D.C. We were down there for a gathering of different faith leaders and folks in different spheres of the church world. And Man, we had a great time. And so I just said, hey, let's let's keep the conversation going. So thanks for carving out a little time to join me. Oh, what a joy to be here. I've been I've been looking forward to a day to just do some one-on-one conversation with you. And I guess now we get to invite some people to listen in on that. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> yeah, and I've, you know, we we've kind of crossed paths here and there, but you're you're like really uh I mean, you're I'm not, you're doing amazing stuff in the Episcopal world, but it's rippling outside of that. But I think first you should, uh, for folks that are not in the Episcopal world, just tell us why you get canon in front of your name. And, um, and <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a short answer and a slightly longer answer. The short answer is because I get to go around and say, boom. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, the slightly longer answer is that I serve as a canon to presiding Bishop Michael Curry, the royal wedding guy, the love guy. <laughs> um, and um, and canons work directly under a bishop kind of executing on the bishop's mission, um, making sure that whatever there is that the bishop is hoping for, wanting to implement, canons are the ones who go forth and are kind of representatives of that bishop and implement on what that bishop dreams of. So I get to go around implementing on what Michael Curry dreams of, and that's pretty much the best job in Christendom. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've heard all the canon jokes, but you don't, I mean, it's not every day you're talking to someone that's the Reverend Canon, you know, is their title. And yeah. I mean, you just, you just busting out love, shooting out love everywhere. And Absolutely. That, that sermon, you know, I was, I was over there. It was right before or right after the Royal wedding. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, visited Lambeth palace and I got to hang out oh, with the yeah. Archbishop, uh, yeah. Justin there, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury. And I asked him, right. I said, cause I knew it ruffled a few feathers, you know, how and and it's a little different, right? Having Bishop, my uh, presiding Bishop uh, Curry over to do a wedding in the UK. Um, there's you know a few historic little rifts and things like that. But you know, well, now, yes. I said, <laughs> I, said yeah. I said, I said, why, why, why did you have him? And and uh, Archbishop Justin goes, because he's such a great preacher. <laughs> They and a, really and a great friend. And they, they, they are friends. Other. They are friends. They speak on so much. They partner on so much. Um, Bishop Curry and Archbishop Justin. Um, my office has partnered on a lot with with you know the Falcon, you know the Church of England as well as Lambeth Palace. Um, yeah. So I think I think that rightly so. You know Lambeth and of course the you know the 
the royals had decided that they wanted to have some element from the states, some element of especially black culture in the states that would um, that would sort of incorporate and honor what Megan was bringing. Um, And so so, you know, there were conversations and negotiations. And um, I think people know that maybe they didn't expect a 13 minute sermon. But back here at home, we were like, wow. Only 13 minutes. We usually get like minimum half hour with Bishop Curry. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> he gave right? them the short, the short course. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But it's totally. It's and, and, and apparently it's the most listened to sermon in the history of the world. Right. I mean, uh, and, a sermon heard I mean, around because the world. Of our, our technology, but also yeah. what a beautiful sermon. If you haven't listened oh. to it. Uh, I mean, it's all about love. It's all about Jesus and the heart of God. And exactly. uh, and now I think, you know, as people have seen some of the, um, well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not going, you know, I mean, there's, there's some, some things going on in the monarchy and whatnot and the history there. And so, I mean, I think it's all the more, the spirit was up to something, I think, yeah. and what a, what yeah. a gift it was. And I, you know, and, and Archbishop, but Justin's been doing some pretty cool stuff too. Like, uh, we've had several conversations together. Sweet. Um, and, but I just recorded a video for him because he's doing this whole series on reconciliation, racial justice and stuff. And I so owe I, him I, a video I'm, for that as well. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. So I'm going to ask you, you know, you, so the, 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 the frame <laughs> framing of this was, you got to ask the the archbishop a question right mm-hmm. so this was my question stephanie and uh, reverend stephanie and i want you to see um i want to know what yours is but so mm-hmm. my my question to um justin welby archbishop of canterbury was um in addition to the role that individuals play you know in reconciliation racial healing what role do some of our um, social institutions have like mm-hmm. the anglican church or the crown mm-hmm. you know to heal the wounds of historic harm, especially yes. of racism and colonialism mm-hmm. that the church has been complicit in and the crown, of course. So um, that was my question. I can't wait to hear his answer. My <laughs> goodness. I mean, that's honestly, it's a question that I ask all the time yeah. um, because, you know, I started out as a priest on the streets. You know, I started mm-hmm. out in Boston, Massachusetts, you know, was a church planter who was also serving at the cathedral. So I've been living kind of in that space between institution and movement for yeah. really my whole ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like, all right, how do I make sure that that those hard questions that people are asking on the street come inside? Yeah, uh, because somebody's got to somebody's got to do that almost like shuttle diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it's like, all right, I'm going to be a church planter with what we would have described at the time, and probably still as a queer church, mm-hmm. um, based at a cathedral. So <laughs> put that together, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, mostly young people, young adults. Um, people in their twenties, thirties, when I turned 40, I, I turned in my papers and was like, now you need another priest. Mm, um, how about a lot that? Of, yeah. A lot of homeless folks, a lot of people of color and certainly informed by the gifts and the expressions of people of color. And our whole thing was, look, we've got to re, um, reimagine Anglicanism wow, through the yeah. experiences of these folk who have been cast to the margins of the Anglican tradition and really cast to the margins of just mainline or regular church right. um, out there overall. Like our churches are so segregated. Um, and a big part of it is because white supremacy is so much a part of, 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 you know, of kind of like, like non, how do I even want to put this? Basically white supremacy is so much a part of majority church culture. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so we're like, all right, how do we, how do we dismantle that? And how do we imagine a church? And in our case, you're like, how do we build a church 
that doesn't have white supremacy at its heart. Um, wow. I still dream. I still dream about that. I still, even now that I'm a canon to presiding bishop, that's still, <laughs> you know, that's still my my charge. You know, it's like, how do we build a church of empire? Like, let's face it, Episcopal Church, Church of England, you know, on and on. You're like, yeah, well, um, and, and Church I, of Empire. That's it. So, how does that church actually like do something besides be white supremacist? <laughs> It's an open question. I'm glad you yeah. asked. I'm glad okay. you asked. Our question, I can't wait to hear what he says. <laughs> okay. So what's your question going to be? What's your question? Um, yeah, actually, I'm I'm not sure. I may not have even followed up with them enough to know that this is what they wanted me to do. <laughs> <laughs> they reached out. I was like, yeah, 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 of course. I'll be helpful. It might have been something else. So know. good. Um, but- but I like yours. I would have. I would have doubled. I would have doubled down on your question. Yeah. I, I, I want to say this because I. I feel like I've got a little unfair um, pulse on the Episcopal Church because yeah. the people that I know and love uh, are mostly leaders of color. Like you know, mm-hmm. you're you're a, a black woman that's the you know Reverend Cannon, uh, the presiding bishop is African American. You know, of course, Michael Kirk. Um, uh, our bishop here in Philadelphia, Gutierrez, is yeah. an incredible friend. He just yeah. came down to our shop where we're turning guns into garden tools. You know, he's yeah. I, I love that brother. So, you know, um, but but I don't know the demographics of the mm. larger Episcopal Church. So tell us, <laughs> like, um, I mean, you know, help me understand it a little bit. <laughs> oh, dude, you're gonna make me cry. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, again, I live in these numbers and I live to try to transform these numbers. Um, but at least for the Episcopal church in the USA and understand that we exist beyond the U S like we have churches and dioceses, um, kind of extensions of the Episcopal church that are in throughout Latin America, throughout Europe. I just got back from a trip to Europe, um, to Paris and Rome where we have churches. Um, but anyway, but at least in the States, we are about 90% white. Okay. And, and so I and think, I, you know, like, you often hear that times like, 92%, but like nothing more than that, which is just embarrassing. What people often say, though, is that like the fastest growing parts of the church. And as you look mm-hmm. at the global church, that really mm-hmm. radically shifts on, on several denominations. I, th- I think that was my at least my kind of uh, pulse on the Anglican church, too. Is yep. that is that true? Like when we oh, look at right so when we're thinking like the future of the church, what yep. What, yep. what do you kind of see on the horizon there? I mean, I think what we see is that, you know, the future, I mean, the future is colorful. And um, I mean, that throughout the Anglican communion, like we have a hard time admitting this, but that there are more Anglicans, at least in Nigeria, than there are practicing, at least practicing Anglicans in Nigeria, than there are in England, the USA, Canada, and Australia combined. Mm, mm. And it's because we are a white church in those other, in those European descended nations. And insofar as white people are not um they're like barely majority now at least here in the states like if you're if you're looking at our decline as a church it tracks precisely with the decline of white people as majority of the u.s population okay yeah yeah, yeah. so basically if you don't become colorful you will die Mm -hmm. and the message at least for me is if you don't become if you don't embrace the diversity of expressions of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if yeah. you don't embrace and celebrate the way that Jesus is showing up in all of these spaces, all of these cultures, 
all of these voices, all these generations. If you can't embrace that as a church, if you can only filter faith through this really tiny cultural spectrum, mm -hmm. then you deserve to die. Mm. Oh, yeah. A little pruning happening. Help us, yeah, Lord. Yeah, exactly. exactly uh, some, sometimes we uh, we say at Red Letter Christians, if it's all white, something's not quite right. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm totally working that one. Oh, not Sorry, quite I don't, right. people are going to have to turn the volume down on this. Uh, <laughs> well, Kentucky, it's, I get loud. You know that. <laughs> it's all good. I love it. Uh, and if you know, if you're just listening in, y'all, I'm talking to the Reverend Canon Stephanie Spellers, uh, dear sister helping lead the Episcopal Church, but also like uh, having a lot of ripples um, in other spaces in the world outside the Episcopal world. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hear just a little bit more about your earlier work, you know, like kind of creative re rethinking what it looks like to be church. Because I think there's a lot of congregations coming out of COVID and whatnot, and even just in general that are rethinking things a little bit thinking like I this is so. we're gonna have to get out of our buildings get into the streets sort of thing um and we one of the things that we share in common is uh you know an appreciation of a rule of life and the monastic tradition the idea of community sort of micro church rather than mega church so say a little bit more about like what you learned from as you said being a you know a church on with its feet on the ground yeah yeah um i mean i still miss being you know in the congregation of you know, like 70 people on a good Thursday night, we worshiped Thursday nights. It wasn't a Sunday morning kind of thing. Mm. Um, but it was a Eucharistic community, which just means we had communion every week and we sat in the round and lay people did the preaching. You know, the first three years of that ministry, Sean, I did not preach once. Mm. My job as priest was to prepare the people to proclaim good news. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I got I, on my shelf back here. The gospel of Solentinami, you know, the sermon came from the people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And actually mm. and we did that kind of sermon talk back, you know, so it'd be like a mm. seven minute reflection from a lay person, <laughs> a member of the church. And that, per, that same person would actually offer the reflections for four weeks, like for a whole month. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really like, it was a training and, you know, people got theologically woke. They got theologically alive in that congregation. And, mm. um, and so anyway, like when I look now at what's happening, you know, for our churches, I mean, I, I slight little commercial, like ding, ding, um, is that I wrote a book during pandemic called the church cracked open. Wow. Um, yeah. di disruption, decline and new hope for a beloved community. It's a subtitle, mm. but, um, but a big part of what I was looking at and there was like, okay, now that we're not in our buildings, like I was writing the book from like July of 2020 to September, 2020. Um, mm. like even less time actually than that. I think I had about eight weeks and just like wrote. <laughs> mm. um, but anyway, but the thing that I was really looking at was, hey, maybe this is a good thing. This disruption, mm. this moment where we can't get into the buildings, we can't do church as usual. Um, you know, folk who would have said, oh, church with screens. No, you know, <laughs> guess what? You know, like, that's the only church you're going to have for a little while now, you know, and, oh, I must have the organ for blah, blah. Like, guess what? You're going to be doing, you know, a dude acapella in his, in his kitchen, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. leading songs, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and that with so many of us, what we found was that there was life in there. There was life mm. um, in these micro churches. There was yeah. life almost like returning to the catacombs, really mm. to the house church, that original Christian experience of intimate, accountable community of followers of Jesus. 
Yeah. And so mm. I, I honestly got really excited in the midst yeah. of pandemic. And I, I hope that we can encourage folk to go back to the wisdom of that time in the wilderness, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. And to say there's something we learned out there when we couldn't take everything that we thought was essential. And we right. discovered, we rediscovered what was actually essential because mm. we had Jesus, we had community, we had stories, you know, like folk were like online doing small groups in ways yeah. that again, at least in our church, you know, we're like, oh, small groups. Well, that's a bit Baptist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right, right. Um, but now like all these churches almost <laughs> like became small groups. It's like, guess what? The Baptists and Methodists had it right. And we yeah. can do this too. Um, so so just go that? ahead and we did the reimagining that we, if you had asked us to do it, so many Christians would have been like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. You don't understand us. But we did it. Yeah. And we can hold on to that wisdom and stay on the margin, stay in the wilderness. I, I, God, God will meet us there. Glory be. And even mm-hmm. outside of, you know, just like kind of the ecclesial church world, we, we tried yeah. some really creative things, too, with Red Letter Christians and other partners. You know, we started doing uh, virtual vigils around yes. every execution because executions yes. were still happening even in the pandemic. And um, yes. and it's wild because we're still doing that. We have hybrid ones now. So there's mm-hmm. people on the ground every time there's an execution and they often have a live stream. And, you know, but we've had like 10,000 people wow. joining uh, these protests, you know, of yes, executions yes. from all over the world. So I think, you know, whether it's, it's bigger, the, how it's we do worship now. or how we, yep. you know, how we protest, I mm-hmm. mean, there's no, nothing replaces being together and being, yeah. you know, on the ground, but um, it, it is amazing how we can do some, some new stuff. I was thinking as you were sharing about, you can't take everything with you. You know how Phyllis Tickle, mm. rest, her, rest her heart, glory be. Uh, uh, she used to say, you know, every few hundred years, uh, the church needs a rummage sale. Yes. And and, you know, and, and there needs to be a renewal, you know, you, you got to get rid of the clutter, but you don't mm-hmm. want to throw out like the family photo album, right? You want to like really cling to the things that are precious, but, um, mm-hmm. if it, you know, she, um, she rang that bell a, a lot and I'm, I'm, I still think it's true, right? That, it but it, it's almost like we're waiting for this, you know, Renaissance, Franciscan Renaissance, you know, or there's some mm-hmm. kind of renewal that needs to mm-hmm. happen, um, but you don't wait. You just keep going and trying to trying to participate in the life giving stuff, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and and create some spaces where we can kind of help each other to do that. You know, yeah. like, I got to say, like, Sean, I woke up this morning and I don't know. Or Shane, I keep saying Sean. Okay, Shane, oh, no worries. Um, I woke up this morning um, and was just kind of thinking about um, the idea that, like, you know, we are born in the image of God. Hmm but we grow into the likeness of Christ. Mm. Mm. And, and then the church or Christian communities are the communities where that growth happens. Mm. That that's mm. the purpose of Christian communities. Yes. Like we are growing one another into the likeness of Christ. Mm. Um, and that's where you get, you know, like the new monastic piece. That's where you get, you know, the rule of life. That's where you get small groups. That's where you get, you know, red letter Christians and like really, boring down into what is it that Jesus was up to? <laughs> like what are yeah. the things that really teach us how to live this life how to live like him yeah um, it's good like there's it's- something when you boil when you can like siphon off or just kind of like shake off some of the rest and get mm. to that um that's when the church changes the world yeah and it's it's also uh 
you, you, you know, this, this gathering that we were at, that's kind of what we were talking about in DC, right? Um, uh, you and, um, and, and Bishop Curry and, and so many others have been a part of this whole reclaiming Jesus thing, you know, because the, be- the best cure for this kind of whacked out uh, nationalism that's trying to camouflage itself as Christianity and the racism. There's, I mean, the stuff that happened at January 6th that they're holding, uh, yeah. holding Jesus signs as they, as they yeah. kill, kill people, you know, and like, like, so this, this, like, Jesus is the best cure for it, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Hey, if it doesn't smell like Jesus, if it doesn't look like Jesus, like, right. that's not Christianity, right? And, uh, dude, but dude. talk a little bit more about, how, how we need to center Jesus. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. red letter Christians, we're always talking, you know, Jesus is mm-hmm. the hermeneutical framework, right, for yes. how we interpret scripture, yeah. our model for life. Uh, mm-hmm. But w- what else does reclaiming Jesus look like uh, for you, Reverend Stephanie? Um, I mean, at least in, in the Episcopal Church, reclaiming yeah. Jesus is also like we're very, we like our words. And we like to be sophisticated in our theology and all of that. So often when we talk about Jesus in this church, folk respond, well, I've heard, you don't want to know how many times I've had clergy say to me, you talk so much about Jesus. You must not know us very well. Clergy, dude. (laughs) I believe it. Yeah. yeah, I was like, you can't make this stuff up. Um, And so, so I feel like a big part of what we're (laughs) trying to do is to help Episcopalians and other folk who may have hangups about Jesus to realize that, you know, like to talk a lot about Jesus, to say you're a part of the Jesus movement. That's actually the yeah. language that we use a lot, that we are the Episcopal branch of a whole Jesus movement. Um, but that it's like, all right, good. You're a Trinitarian. I'm so grateful. I'm one too. And here's the thing. The, the creator, the son and the spirit are there dancing from eternity, mm. you know, to eternities, dancing, um, they call it perichoresis, whatever, you know, but like this eternal dance of, of this three in one, one in three. And Jesus is the one that they tagged, like this, this, <laughs> the creator and the spirit tagged Jesus and was like, you reach out and bring all of those folk into the dance with us. Mm. Mm. So my thing's like, yes, like I, I'm a, I'm a Trinitarian Christian, but Jesus is the one that they sent to show you and me how to be in closer relationship with the fullness of God. Like, Mm. I don't know the fullness of God except through Jesus as a Christian, like a Buddhist can get to the fullness of God on other, on other routes, you know, a Jew can, a, you know, a Muslim can, but at least for me, you know, as a Christian, I'm, I'm grabbing the hand of Jesus. Yes. And that's my way into that bigger relationship. So I'm like, I don't know how to do Christianity except in that intimate relationship with Jesus. I don't know how to live this God life except by following his life. And I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to take on the challenges of just as hard as all this stuff is and then get up off the floor when I fall because Lord knows we all do. Except by the power of the spirit that Jesus, you know, kind of brought into our lives, sent into our lives. Mm. So that's, that's the Jesus focus for me is actually it's, it's, it's the way into the Trinity. Yeah. There you go. And I'm, I'm, you're singing my song. I love it. Sweet Lord mm-hmm. Jesus. I was thinking, you know, there's also, there's, there's a fair amount of folks that are, um, 
are raising the question these days of which Jesus do you worship? You know, like some uh, folks are saying, got to br- break up with the white Jesus, yes. the Hallmark Jesus, you know? Yes. And I was thinking of, you know, that we've got a congregation here in Philly, the Church of the Advocate, right? Mm-hmm. Where I the entire Exodus story is painted um, mm-hmm. uh, in light of, uh, or kind of mirroring the liberation story of African-Americans and the fight for racial justice. And it's yes, so yes. powerful to see that, story and also to think of jesus you know having dark darker skin than i do uh and you know, you know and so there there um seems to be like also this question of like which jesus because you can create a jesus that carries an ar-15 instead of a cross if you want to right <laughs> not if you're reading the gospels that's right that's not right. if you're reading and that's that's where it gets back to is like the jesus yeah. of the gospels the jesus of nazareth honestly not just jesus christ you know, like yes. with the full, the formal fellow with the, you know, with the full name and all of that. It's like, I'm a follower, like for life, a yes. follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. And, and if you follow that arc, his arc, if you follow his way, and he made his way very plain, like we call it the way of love. I mean, we don't call yeah. it whatever, like, but we've developed a whole rule of life and everything else as a whole church that's really focused on, you know, following Jesus through practices of um you know turning to god learning the way of jesus in scripture um you know praying worshiping blessing others going in his name and resting and letting god be god and hey, not in, us in, in this yet. last minute it's so powerful yeah. and i want to make sure that people know where to access some of those resources so yeah. um tell us you know because this is beautiful it, it's reclaiming yeah. christ it's reclaiming yeah. christianity not just as a way of believing but a way of living yes. in the world the way of love so where can people find yeah. more of your stuff reverend canon stephanie and yeah. how can they find some of that honestly if you go to episcopalchurch.org slash way hyphen of hyphen love or just way of love. You'll see a whole there are videos. There's a podcast that the presiding bishop does. And it's just our way um, of inviting people into a practical way of growing into the likeness of Christ. Yeah. So I, I mean, this flew by, we'll do more together. You're, you're going to hear more I can't wait. Uh, uh, in, in our red letter Christian world from the Reverend Canon Stephanie Spellers, but this has been an incredible half hour together. Thank you. And we'll talk again soon. God bless you. And God bless everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.